Welcome to The Markitect, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Markitect is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. Each episode, powered by Pavilion, helps you unlock your professional potential by featuring experts who will share how they build impactful teams and optimize their go-to market execution. Welcome and enjoy the show. Man, long time no see. What's going on? I know. How are you? Good. Hey, you in Toronto? I'm always in Toronto. That's where I live. All right. All right. Well, we're, we're doing a roadshow in Toronto. I heard. Yeah. I'm coming. Yeah, we should. I'm coming. Let's, uh, I don't know how long you're going to be there for, but let's have dinner. Yeah, man. We will definitely be doing a night before dinner. Uh, might be a whole group of people, but uh, we should definitely hang. Yeah, let's do it. I'll, uh, I'll show you around the yeah, city. But anyway, how are you otherwise? How's fam? How's everything? Bam's good. You know, keeping it uh, easy at a pretty casual weekend. So, which is always a great thing because it's, they're so few and far between just always on the go, all these types of things. Good. Otherwise, in terms of family and then just works, keeping me busy, of course, yeah. category creation, of course, positioning, changing all the time, of course, aligning kind of the messaging on, you know, where we need to be and what our go-to-market motions are and all of the downstream impacts of these things. And, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with like when you're category creating, there's this concept of languaging, which is a big, which is a big problem in our organization. We language like crazy. We had uh, like a laundry list. It was like 27 languaging specific things for our business. And we uh, compressed it to five over the last like week and a half. The problem is, is that we just need to tell people to stop languaging other languages because we've been telling <laughs> everybody the whole time. And so it's, it's really around the communication side of these things. Well, you know, the whole category creation, I think I had a small part to play with ABM on that. I still say like most companies shouldn't do it. There's no good reason to do it. Like you really have to believe in it and, and, and sign up for a decade long work on it. Uh, the better part is to just figure out which categories are booming and where demand is and and do a better job than everybody else in that category and win. Uh, I hear you. I hear you, buddy. Okay, I've been <laughs> doing this for five years and we're still where we are. There's people trying to do it faster, but I agree with you. Like category is a is a killer and uh, you got to be in it for the long run. I'll tell you one thing though, is our CEO has so much ridiculous conviction about yeah. what we do. He's the one that basically keeps us in the category space. Sometimes a little too much about being different to be different. The conviction side of, on, from his perspective is definitely very high on that end. Make integration obsolete. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement. So I can, I hear you. Yeah, that's what we do. And it's, it is a bold statement. It's a differentiator and we're in a saturated market of data technologies. Part of that is, is trickling down. And, and do I believe it? I believe it. I've been here for five years and I still believe it, right? Like that's go. the level of conviction that basically has to be true. And if that ever changes, then my my love for it will sleep change too. There you go. There you go. I like that, man. That means you guys are on it. And, what, and what's your role in the company? Sales. Okay. So uh, I lead a team of basically account executives okay that okay. are uh, just trying to get new logos so you know we got a we got a couple of good decent customers like Wells Fargo TD Bank and so forth but still lots of work that needs to happen yeah where are you guys in revenue it's about six mil we just raised another 20 so got some pretty good runway for the next two three years Colin Rowan I'm surprised he he and I already talked about meeting up five minutes before this call and he's nowhere near to be found which is very very strange yeah, very unlikely of him. Hey, Karen. Hi, good morning. Are you back from your B2B MX trip? 
I got back Thursday night because Anthony Canada had an Audience Plus event that I went to after B2BMX on Wednesday. He's doing a little mini road show. So I joined him for that. And I and then I was in our warehouse in Phoenix. First time I've seen it on Thursday because we shot a video there. So, so I got home late Thursday and then we celebrated Employee Appreciation Day on Friday. So kind of uh, just laid low on Friday and caught up with other stuff over the weekend, but was a great, great event. They did a really nice job. It was good to see a lot of old friends. I know you you see this when you do your road shows. Um, yeah. So a lot of people I haven't seen, you know, in a physical scenario in a while. So it was, it was fun. Yeah, it's a reunion for sure. Uh, like, I think this is the on purpose took a break from it because we're doing all these road shows can be everywhere all the no, time. No, you couldn't possibly. It it yeah. just, you know, and and the thing is to do it you want to do it well. You know, yes. you want it like we did um we had a customer presentation. I hosted, I moderated the CMO general session panel which was great. We had a big rooftop party at our Phoenix office, you know. Nice. So we had all kinds of activities and my feeling on these shows if you're going to put money into these those third-party industry trade shows it's like go big or go home i don't want to just show up and send two people to manage a booth it's like so we had a lot of our our executives there chris was there our head of sales was there i was there obviously that was it was great it's awesome ron good to see your face man since last year you're like completely vanished i'm like where is he so good to see (laughs) see your face well, first and foremost, so sorry I'm running late here. Hello, uh, Karen. Nice to meet you, Sangram. Nice uh, to meet you. It's, it's been a it's been a day. It's been a day. My apologies. I was a bit of a fire. No, I hear I hear you. I was a couple minutes late myself, and uh, guess we uh, it's a Monday. What can we yeah, say? First uh, first Monday in March, I guess. Right. So <laughs> I look at my. I'm just looking at the March calendar on my wall because I just turned it when I got back because I got back and it was already March. I was like, oh my god, my calendar still in February that I always feel like that's a little bit of a jinx. Well, I appreciate you joining, especially so uh, last minute. That's fantastic. Really appreciate it. Happy to do it. I have to admit, I did not prep at all. I think you guys might have sent questions. I didn't even look, but I'm pretty good on the fly. So Sangram asked me to do it. And I said, absolutely, (laughs) I will do it. Uh, Sangram has many fans, myself included, and he's been on this a couple of times now. Um, This, Karen, this is all about go-to-market. This episode is about go-to-market. Podcast itself is part of the product marketing community. You know, we have 15,000-ish CMOs and product marketers talking all things product marketing, but this podcast in particular concentrates more on leadership and product marketing strategy as such go-to-market is top of mind for us. So we are going to hone in on what is go-to-market, who are the players in go-to-market within a tech SaaS organization, and then, and kind of at a high level, go through the process because, you know, we don't have uh, too long to to get into the nitty gritty, but that's the gist of it. Great. And Ron, you're doing this with, uh, in partnership with Pavilion, uh, I believe, or how are you doing that? Yeah. So I'll answer your question and it's good context with Karen as well. So Karen, I started the uh, the product marketing community. It's not for profit. Uh, we've never really had partnerships or sponsors. Uh, so folks help me with in-kind partnerships. That's all I take uh, just so I'm not, uh, this is not my full-time job. I, I'm a VP PMM. That's what I do on, on my full-time when I'm not with the three kids. And so Pavilion is keeping the lights on, if you will, with, you know, help with editing and this and that. So they're uh, hiring this. That's great. Uh, 
podcast for the year. Yeah, Sam Jacob and that crew, they're doing fantastic things. So it was just, it was easy. I've partnered with Sangram in the past on a bunch of things and, you know, because he's good people, as you know. Uh, so yeah, for real. Excellent. Fantastic. So any other questions? I'm going to do like a 10, 20 second intro, get to a bit of a fill in the blanks that I do with all my guests. And the fill in the blanks, Karen, is why are you in marketing? So I'm in marketing because, and then you fill in the blank. And then the second one, and Karen, as Sangram, you've done this one before, and then you're my definition of leadership is and then you fill in the blank on that one and then we get to the nitty-gritty of gtm but we start with those two fill in the blanks great sounds good all right and this is pre-recorded so at any point karen if you would like to redo a question uh just do one of these timeouts our editor can work magic we'll redo the question so there's no formalities here on this one this is all pre-recorded great i'm just taking a couple notes i like the fill in the blanks that's fun i guess on that note i have to ask you started became a director of marcom at next which is steve jobs shop yeah i worked directly for steve for about five years yeah this so, I mean, I, this conversation of karen being on this call dude like karen is <laughs> OG yeah i go OG. back uh, so i was literally a child when i joined apple that was my entree to to next i did not work closely with Steve at Apple. But when I left Apple, I joined Next. And there's no question Steve was the default CMO. I mean, we had a couple of CMOs come and go. One of them who I'm still very close with, who was ex-Microsoft that I adore, who actually was a great CMO, who Steve respected, but there are very few that he respected. So, so for most of my five years at Next, I worked directly for Steve. Wow. And I have an unusual experience. I know people tell horror stories, but he and I had a great rapport. And I think part of the reason we had a great rapport is because um, I was a little bit under the radar when he hired this guy from Microsoft who loved me and sort of protected me for the first, you know, year, year or so. And then, then he left to go. The co-founder of Microsoft was starting a new company and he wanted this guy there to, to run a bunch of it. And, and so then that was Steve and I were, were pretty close back, wow. back in those years. Yeah. Uh, so that could have been the episode instead of what we're going to talk about. Now, maybe, maybe you know, I don't one. like to name drop like that, but but I did, I have to say that my formative years, when people ask me about, you know, why, why are you in marketing? You know, I mean, it does go back to my early, early days at Apple, because I'm a big believer. Apple was a very different company than it is today. They weren't a consumer electronics company. They were a computer company. Yeah. And I was their pre-Macintosh launch. So they hadn't broke through yet, but they were super successful. They were a billion dollars in sales with the Apple II product, if you can believe that. Wow. Yeah. So I kind of learned everything about marketing kind of growing up at Apple because I was there for eight years. Mm -hmm. And I believe Apple invented high-tech high-tech marketing. So they were the first company to do it, to do it well. IBM copied them over the years. But anyway, so that's, I have a, a interesting background, but, and, but after Apple and Next, then I moved into kind of internet was starting to explode. There were a lot of cool startups. So I ended up doing some small startups and then I went to larger companies. Like I was at Informatica and VMware and, but you know, where I think I've had a lot of my impact over the years has been in fast growth startups. Love it. Love it. Wow. Well, Sangram, thank you for nominating this gem to join the podcast. Yep. I'm really appreciative. And Karen, for your time. 
know about Karen. And uh, Karen, as the more you know Ron, you would know that uh, he's good people and very connected too. So I'm delighted. I'm glad to make the connection. And of course, Sangram, thank you for connecting us here and for this opportunity. I'm always happy to do these. All right. So let's get to it. I'll, I'm going to... Oh, Alan already hit record, so we're good to go there. I'm going to do my 10-second intro and then two fill in the blanks, and then we fire away. Welcome to The Market Tact, a podcast series where leadership and product marketing intersect. The Market Tact is for and about the world's best product marketing leaders and the chief marketing officers that own the function. And my God, talk about some of the best marketing minds in the business. We have two on the show here today. These are two marketing tech experts for sure, but they're really good at one thing as well, which is go to market. And so to better understand just what separates winning companies from less successful ones, you need not turn to nothing more than just their go to market strategy if they have one and how they execute on that. And, you know, creating a product, it's easy. It's easy enough, especially with all the tech available, the resources available today, but building a great company and culture and then having the discipline to take a product to market is vastly more challenging. And I use the word discipline there on purpose because the key to successfully conquering the challenge of bringing a product to market and sustainably growing is go-to-market. More precisely, a high-performing go-to-market team and disciplined process. And so who better to bring this topic to life than two people? Karen Steele, Chief Marketing Officer from Sendoso, who happened to start her career at the company that maybe invented tech marketing, or at least did it better than anyone else. We'll get to that in a second. And Sangram, founder of Go-To-Market Partners, founder of the Peak Community, founder of Terminus. I'm sure there's more, but my God, just those three are, are, are enough to, to, to share. Welcome, Karen. Welcome, Sangram. Well, I'm, I'm super excited, man. Let's get, get going on this one. And having here with you and Karen, who have done so much more, like I can't wait to dig in and learn more. Love it. Yeah, thank um, you. Thank you for the invitation. I'm also Thrilled to be here and look forward to the uh, the conversation. Thank you, Karen. So Karen, um, Sangram has done this before, your first time on the show. Before we get to the nitty gritty of go-to-market, indulge me, if you will, by answering or fill in the blanks for two fill in the blanks. The first one, Karen, we'll start with you. I am in marketing because... I'm in marketing because I love customers. I love winning. And I love having a brand impact in the market. And maybe to uh, unveil your your earlier comment about which company I started at, I started at Apple in the early days. So I grew up learning from, I think, the best marketing company in the world in the 80s. Um, that's where I got my roots and understanding the concept of creating a brand promise and living that brand promise through your customers every single day made me fall in love with marketing, every aspect of marketing. And then the, the winning aspect is just competing and being out there and, you know, just fighting for the market every single day. You've got the right product market fit. And that's why I love marketing, why I'm in marketing. Love it. And Sanger, I'm going to, I'm going to tweak this one for you. Okay. 
I am the go-to-market expert, the go-to-market guru. I am all focused, all in on go-to-market because... Well, go-to-market can change the world. As you said it before, there are some, there are incredible CEOs, there are incredible leaders out there that have great products that will never, ever see the light of day. They would never be on a shelf somewhere. They would never actually be out of a coffee shop conversation because they didn't figure out how to go to market, how to get that product out there in the hands of the right people so they will spread from there. It is the bane of most companies' challenges is go to market. So you really have the power to change the world if you do it right. Love it. And if go to market is the bane of all these companies, uh, we have the Batman on the show for the solution. So Sangram Batman Bargie. <laughs> my definition of leadership is Karen. Uh, my definition of leadership is it starts with transparency and openness, which of course it has everything to do with how you communicate to your teams, both internally and externally. It is about collaboration and it's also about development. So I'm a big believer that leaders develop new leaders every single day you're having an impact or an impression on future leaders. And so uh, being cognizant of that development opportunity, making that investment in existing teams, but recognizing that even outside your existing team, you're developing future leaders. So that's what I think about leadership. Love it. Development, collaboration, openness, transparency. Sangram, your definition of leadership is? I give one word, uh, intentional. I think you've probably heard me say this before. Being intentional is way more important than being brilliant. I've, I've been too far thinking of myself as brilliant and learned the hard way that it's far better to be intentional than be the most brilliant person in the room. It doesn't really do much uh, when it comes to outcomes. Lo I love it. I love it. Okay, now let's get to it. Go to market. Karen, we'll start with you. VMware, Informatics, uh, Informatica, uh, Apple, Next, so many companies uh, that, you know, the brilliant companies that you've been at. I'm sure they've had the trials and the tribulations. If you can, and you've been at them in different maturity stages, which is, you know, there's lots to, to glean from that. Can you share some telltale signs uh, that a company's go-to-market is broken? We don't have to name names here, but uh, in your experience overall, what are the telltale signs that a company's go-to-market is yeah, broken? Yeah, that's such a fun, great question. So I think it's some of the larger companies that you've mentioned. I think SaaS has taken on some different characteristics, but there's, there's a phenomenon that I always call big S, little M. So sales ruled the roost and marketing was almost an afterthought. We were mm. almost subservient to sales. That in my mind, it, for fast growing SaaS companies that I've worked with and for over the last 15 years is really not the case. I think that the SaaS market and the, the dynamics in the SaaS market helped open up the and sort of level the playing field for what go-to-market really is. I think in the legacy businesses that I used to be at, larger companies, sales was very separate and marketing was very separate. And customer success, it wasn't even really a concept. It was support mm. and it was sort of off in the distance. And I think in, in the universe that I've lived in for the last 15 years, and I know Sangram can speak to this well too, this concept of go-to-market is very connected. It's 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 sales, marketing, customer success, and products sitting at the same table and designing strategies to win not just for pipeline, but to win, to hit your revenue number for the business, 
to create the best NRR net retention rate you can, customer satisfaction, however you uh, net promoter score, however you measure it. But there's a set of common goals that are usually corporate goals that a really strong go-to-market team focuses on. So they're not just pipeline, they're not just revenue. The customers at the center of all those conversations, um, expansion, upsell, cross-sell, renewals, um, you know, all, all those wonderful things that we all care about. So the failures that I've seen in 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 GTM are when those those parts are disconnected. And if product, by the way, because I know you have a product marketing audience, doesn't have a seat at that go to market table, that's a problem. Um, Sangram has a great presentation on this too, where he talks about it's not a sales problem, it's not a marketing problem, it's not a pro- product problem. It's it, it's a go-to-market problem because if you don't have that connected tissue yes. between all those teams, you will fail. But I know Sangram has a lot to say on this. So well, great segue and, and Sangram, let's set the record straight. What is go to market? Well, it it is I think a lot echoed, but I've, we've been working a lot with Sendoso in the past few months. And I think what has been interesting to see, just talking about what good companies do better. Uh, out there is recognizing where the market is moving and then making sure that they have a clear point of view. Mm. So for example, Sendoso now like using like Karen's because if you just know a little bit more about them as part of the work, they're a direct marketing automation platform, right? That's that's a platform out there, not a not something that they just send send gifts. They they actually do a full-on direct marketing. And when you start thinking about that, now you have an opportunity to get people to think about this in a much different way, in a bigger way. Look at this not just as an acquisition thing, but as Karen mentioned, for your pipeline velocity, for your expansion process. So long part of where people have drawn this out and tried to make it only a departmental issue, it is not. Every single uh, company that we're working with right now, here's their number one challenge. They think that they have too much technology and they don't, they're not even using half of it right. So when you go and say, well, I have another thing that want to do, they're like, well, no, I'm already overwhelmed. So the more companies can say, no, we actually check more than one box. We actually help you across the buyer journey. The better your platform outlines all those things, the better it's going to be for them, especially for 2023. Brilliant. Yeah, and and Rowan, if, if I, can I add one comment? Because Stangram uh, prompted me a little bit because, and you also sort of kicked this off talking about team and discipline. The discipline piece I didn't talk about. So I talked about sales, marketing, CX or CS and product, but the foundational piece to that, that I neglected to mention, which is critical is revenue operations. Yes. Revenue operations is critical because it's not just the data. It's about the data and the process and everything that goes behind all the technology, uh, what Sangram said about all the investments you've made in technology and the integrations and making that all work together so you can see how your go-to-market is translating to real outcomes. So revenue ops sits at the table too. So we host one strategy weekly meeting, which is our head of sales, myself, our head of CX, our head of product, and our head of revenue ops. And it's the five of us that come together to design strategy. And then, of course, it's everybody else on the team that goes and executes those strategies. But uh, revenue ops is, is critical. Data, processes, people, technology. 
Ah, oh, love it. And and so there, there's a lot really to unpack uh, to get go to market right. Uh, you you mentioned quite a few stakeholders. Who Sangram? I'm going to turn to you, and then Karen, I'd love your thoughts on this. Sangram, who do you believe is accountable? Like who should own go to market at a company? That's a layup question for for me for sure. Uh, <laughs> having written the book and doing done all the research, I'll be, I'll tell you this is something I have not really shared much in any other episodes. I was blatantly wrong about my understanding of the breadth of go-to-market and also the ownership of go-to-market. So to, to, you know, so that might help people think where I'm going to go with the answer. But initially, I thought go-to-market was, I've done it. I was at Salesforce. I was at Pardot. I was at Terminus. Like, so I, like I think I, I kind of know. I got a chip on my shoulder. I, I think I know what go-to-market is. The reality is I had no clue because I was only looking at from my role perspective. Mm. And I thought, oh, yeah, just launching a new product. That's go-to-market. And now being a CEO of a company, now that being a founder and being having done the research for the book, uh, found out when we talked to the CEOs across the board, they're like, guess what? What go-to-market is? Are you going to open a market in and go sell in EMEA versus North America? That's a go-to-market decision. Are you going to go in PLG versus enterprise? That's a go-to-market decision. Are you going to go and get agency partners as opposed to hiring salespeople on your team? That's a go-to-market decision. So now when you start framing, oh my gosh, go-to-market is not about product launch or getting something to the market. Go-to-market is how you run your business. Then you ask the question, well, who owns that? And I think that probably when I, my mind was blown, I'm like, well, every single CEO out there is like, well, they own go-to-market without blinking the eye. And part of marketing's role, part of best marketers that I'm seeing right now, they facilitate that conversation mm -hmm. because they are the most strategic people in the room to understand how to navigate all of it. So the best marketing leaders are facilitating the go-to-market conversation. But ultimately, in every part of the research I've done, the CEO has to own it, like it or not, want it or not. That's what's happening. And Ken, I'm going to get back to you in a second here. Uh, Sangram, if the CEO owns it, the CMO, the CRO, Karen brought up RevOps, rightfully so, the chief customer officer, CXO, whatever they're called, um, you know, customer success officer. What are the roles of all these other folks? Oh, the, you know, we, we laid it out in the book a lot more around this. So we look at the CRO more of the orchestrator. They are, they're really saying, well, and if they're the right CRO, meaning they have customer success. They actually have the revenue number, not just the sales number. So they're mm -hmm. orchestrating some of it, right? Um, your CMO is really the evangelist of making sure all of these things are getting done because I keep saying they are the most strategic person. That's the most strategic person you can actually have on the team because they're not just looking at day in and day out and clocking in and seeing the deals. They're looking at it, what will drive the business forward. So, and, and a lot of times I would say the VC should stay outside the game because this VC should just guide, maybe show some patterns, but not jump in and tell what to do. That's when it goes really horribly wrong because they're doing pattern recognition and every business is a little bit different. And especially right now in 2023, we better try more than one go-to-market motions. We better change the game. And you can't really look at an Excel spreadsheet and drive that. So a lot has been changed for every one of these roles right now. And, and so, Karen, if the CEO is accountable and owns it, the CRO, uh, Sangram said, is the orchestrator. CMO is the evangelist. And do you agree, disagree? How, how are you driving go-to-market and or playing a role in go-to-market in your company? Now we're ending in the future. Uh, in the past. 
Yeah, I I agree with everything Sangram said. And obviously, I'm uh, familiar with the book. You know, I think there are certain companies where ultimately it's going to roll up to a CEO. But I also think if you have a strong COO in our company, for example, it's our president COO who ultimately will make the the decisions. I mean, the executive team will sit together, but but it is one sort of executive leader um, where it's the job of this strategy team, the go-to-market strategy team with all the pieces that I mentioned, sales, marketing, CX, product, revenue ops, that have to put those business cases and, and strategic recommendations on the table every single day. Um, you know, based on how the company wants to pivot, how the company wants to respond to competitive pressure, how the company wants to price in the market, how, you know, these are all decisions that are not made on the fly. For people that think that's easy, it's not. Um, Even if you're at a smaller stage company, these are really important decisions that have consequences. So I do believe it rolls up to a CEO or a COO. And I think all those voices and like the the weekly meeting we do with our GTM leaders, which are all the people I mentioned, we come out with a set of you know recommendations and strategy decisions that we pose to the exec team, and ultimately, you know, the team makes the decision. I mean, I don't know many CEOs these days that sit on an island and just make decisions on their own. They rely on their executive teams to do that, but but that is really fundamentally what what it's all about. I love the interlock amongst your go-to-market leaders um, on a weekly basis. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, So in addition to being CMO at Sendoso, you consult, advise many successful companies and have been at many successful companies in the past, different sizes, different stages. You know, Sangram touched on that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to -to go-to-market. It's depending on your maturity state. How should organizations approach go-to-market? Yeah, so I think, you know, I came into Sendoso and not unlike a lot of fast growth companies, we had some turnover and change and and we had a relatively new um, go-to-market leadership team. So the first thing I did was put together, you know, that strategy session to bring us all together, which I think is that's sort of step number one is just get everybody bought, sort of bought into the charter of it. Um, but every company is organized differently and has, you know, dip, there are different levels of maturity. When I was, for example, at a company like Informatica, um, and I'm sure you've seen this, you know, in in all the product marketing stuff you've done over the years, um, our product marketing team sat in product development. So they were completely different they were not part of the marketing team. They reported up to product development. And so we had to create a go-to-market strategy and team that was inclusive of that and and brought them into the fold because it was never intended that product be separate, but that's just the way they ran the business. And that's true in certain larger companies. When I was at VMware, all of the product leadership on the product marketing side sat in eight different business units. So it's a harder job because your go-to-market involves all of those business units. It involves all of your geo leaders in the regions. Mm -hmm. And you've got to figure out a way to bring everybody together so you can create that singular strategy and set of decisions that you're going to make as, as a team. So smaller companies, it might 
be a little more obvious, easier to create those strategy teams and and get the decisions, you know, turned quickly. And um, but but in larger companies, it takes a little more navigating. So I've seen many different flavors, but generally speaking, um, you know, if you have the buy-in from the top, as Sangram said, where the CEO or COO is is asking the team to put together the right plans and recommendations. And you can figure out a way to bring those people together. I, I do think all of the voices are are important, but I think when it comes to, you know, fundamental decisions about pipeline and revenue, it's usually more cl- closely tied to sales and marketing. And so those are probably two of the stronger voices that that get heard in these conversations. But it's so critical to have all of the the other voices that I mentioned, CX and product and. Revenue ops is sort of the glue that gives you all the evidence and all the analytics that you need to make these decisions. But product is critical too. We recently made a decision to uh, to put our first PLG product to market. And we did that with evidence from the analytics of what we were hearing from both current customers and future customers that, that wanted to see either a trial offering or some kind of a free service. And it was designed to be pretty experimental. In the beginning, we launched it right before the holidays, but we could not have launched that product or had the evidence to launch that product without the buy-in from sales because we didn't want it to erode any low-end business. We're going up market, but we still have a fair amount that comes in from the SMB side. Mm -hmm. We wanted a solution for SMB. And then we need we wanted options for other people that just wanted to kind of give it a test drive. So um, the strategy around that product, and I think the success around that product, which has been kind of absurd, I think we have 500 users uh, or companies that are in the SMB space that are using this product today, and we've barely marketed it. But all of those decisions on how we do it, how we look at conversion strategy going forward. For those that have adopted from more the high-end market that maybe were lost deals in our mid-market or enterprise segment, how do we convert them to paying? All those things, those conversations all happen with this go-to-market team, you know, to Sangram's point, which is like, this is such an important dynamic to have inside your company. Um, and again, companies operate differently depending on their level of maturity and size. Um, so I've been at a lot of a lot of the larger companies, as I said, have I wouldn't necessarily call it politics, but more bureaucracy if you're dealing with five geos and eight business units and you know, sales and marketing, mm-hmm. you know, and data people supporting all that stuff. You've just got to figure out a balance that works and, and make it a priority. I, and I so I, I love everything you just said, and, and and you hammered home the point that go to market is not launch. Your go to market strategy dictates what you should launch, why you should launch it, to who you should launch it. It, it, it launch requires go to market as an input, and go to market is the primer for everything you do as an organization. Um, to that end, and before we get to Sangram's framework, I, I would love for Sangram to go through your framework as to how folks should even, you know, craft their go-to-market process and, and how they should approach it. Let's start from, you know, from the from the end. What does success look like for organizations that implement a, a, a you know a, a brilliant go-to-market? How are you measuring success of, of go-to-market? 
And I guess it depends is probably going to be your, your starting point. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd say, well, first of all, our research showed that most successful companies are using at least three, if not four, go-to-market motions. Hmm. Again, that was a shocker to me because that's not how I thought about the world five years ago. Five years ago, I thought, well, inbound and outbound, like ABM, like that's it. Like that's part of what you did. Uh, the funnels and every framework out there was pretty much dotted and crossed and everything for that specific purpose that created that process. And now Karen just mentioned, they just rolled out a PLG. That is a different motion altogether. And they, they, they have to do that because you have to test new go-to-market motions in the marketplace because the behavior of the consumers are changing. Well, not only that, think about community-based growth, right? Like community-led growth is a real thing. But if you try to fit that into the old funnel, then it's going to be looking at the community people as leads, and that's not going to work for you. So you got to figure out, well, what is the new way to look at it? So uh, think about event-led growth. Like we have been doing roadshow and, and going out like Ron, you, you know, we started with the, with the roadshow in Seattle with you uh, and SF, and now we're back and continue to do it. And that's a growth motion. That is a completely go-to-market motion. If you do it right, your customers, your future customers and your and, uh, partners, everybody will be at that particular event. And if you create a great experience, you will not only keep your existing customers who are actually sell to even more future customers. So that's a go-to-market motion. So the number one thing from a depends answer perspective is that get, get ready. If you're only doing one or two standard go-to-market motions, you are failing way behind the curve. You need to be doing at least three or four. That's what our research shows. And then the, then the final, final point that made me think about where do people go and the framework when we get into it, here is one thing that we have been doing more and more with our customers has been like the most fun is this idea around a market investment map. Most companies don't do that. Most companies would have three or four products uh, and then say, well, and then we have a three or four personas and they're sending the same message to everyone. And as Karen just alluded, you get an SMB persona that is probably very fine-tuned for the PLG level thing. But if she sends the same exact message to enterprise, that will not connect with them. You need to send a different message. They might be interested in PLG, but a right. different message to that. So your market investment map really needs to be a big part of that strategy process that dictates which go-to-market motion you need to have. So I get super excited about in 2023 as companies starting to think about it. It is going to stretch all of us. It is going to, a lot of us are going to think like I do right now, where I feel like I knew what I knew and I don't know what I don't know right now. And I'm learning and knowing, and if everybody can have their learner's mindset, beginner's mindset again, I think, I think we're going to come out of this year feeling and knowing and learning and doing things that we never thought we would be doing right now in, in the world because it's, it's, the market has changed so much. I love it. Yeah. Let's and if I, if, if, yeah, if Sorry, I could Karen, just, yeah. only a couple, yeah, just a couple comments. And I know we want to get to, we want to get to Sangram's model here, but, um, and I know this is not a new concept, but I think internally at Sendoso, we now, I mean, we have our mindsets, you know, marketing still owns inbound and sales owns outbound. We have SDR and BDR teams, but we're really now calling it all bound. And I think that's, yeah. a, that's a common concept that everybody's talking about, which also means that when we have both inbound and outbound things coming in, they all get followed up by the same teams because everybody's looking at it in the same way. They're all good for the business. We've got to make sure we're 
proactive and responsive, et cetera. Um, you know, Sangra mentioned ABM. That for us is our enterprise, one of our key enterprise plays. CX has their own enterprise plays. I have a dedicated customer lifecycle marketer who runs campaigns for expansion and growth within existing customers to assist with renewals, et cetera. Um, we talked about PLG. For us, PLG is, is focused on SMB, but I would say we're getting enterprise traction too for for deals that didn't have budget or weren't ready to buy. And so again, you don't want to, you don't want to ever let PLG cannibalize potential sales, but you've got to figure out how to make it work mm. across all your motions. Um, and the only piece that wasn't mentioned that I think is a critical uh, go-to-market motion, um, Sangra mentioned community, but partners. Oh yeah. 100%. The, the amount of partner influence that that we in in a, in a MarTech ecosystem, which is the world we live in, you know, it's huge. So the the amount of uh, potential that partners can bring to the table that enhance your go-to-market strategy is critical. So working closely with your biz dev team. Now, does our biz dev team sit specifically on our go-to-market strategy team? Not necessarily, but they're clearly an important role that we pull in, you mm -hmm. know, for a lot of the decisions and investments that we're going to make regarding partners. So that would be the only thing I add to. Yeah, that. no, I can't forget partners, especially in B2B. Um, you covered the, the the routes to market, the goals to market. Sangram, can you bring this all home with a simple framework that folks can 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 crystallize as they come Monday yeah. morning and say, well, how do we start? Yeah, happy to, happy to. And, and uh, Sandosa has been really kind and they have bought a number of copies of the book. So, you know, I would just go ahead and send like to five people, or so the first five people or so who DM me and send me on LinkedIn saying, this is what I got out of it, uh, out of this conversation. I'll have, you know, if Shandosa is okay, like Karen, you're okay with it. We'll ship those five people a copy of the book uh, because right. I think it's been, uh, it's been a fun, fun thing seeing this, this fly off. And the framework is really simple. And that's the name of the book as well, Move, which is Market Operations, Velocity and Expansion. Um, and market is about who should you market to? And that's where we get into TAM is not what people should think about. TAM is great for investors, how big the market is. So when you raise money, you can say, we have a $5 billion marketplace. But the best companies focus on TRM, total relevant market. Who is my relevant market I need to sell this year to make the number? And those companies are focused intentional. So, so market, the operations, I think, uh, what, what do you need to operate effectively? I think Karen has touched beautifully on it. The RevOps is the glue where everybody becomes a business leader specialized in their own function with a RevOps team because RevOps team tells what's going on. And now I don't need to go and defend as a CMO or a CRO, anything. I need to come in there as a business leader to say, well, how can I help? How can I move the business forward? Uh, velocity, this is the common question we all get is, when can we scale the business? How many times you have already heard on Monday morning from somebody that, hey, we need to scale this program, scale this business. So it's really the ramps that companies need to think about. Uh, how do you get a marketer to create more demand? How do you get an SDR to create more deals? How do you get AEs to close more deals? How do you get CS to make sure that the ratios of how they're working on stays and expands? So these ramps are really, really important. And we do tremendous workshops on those. And the last one, this one came, the E for expansion, which is where can we grow the most? Where can we grow the most? This is literally what Karen was talking about, why they're doing PLG. Why they, they don't have to do it, but in a way, 
they absolutely have to do it because they have to find and stretch and figure out where should they grow the most. If this works, then we would start growing in a new segment that wasn't really the primary thing that they thought about last year. You can't wait for a new year planning for that. You got to test and see what happens, what changes. So the framework is quite simple. And here's the beauty of this, what I've learned in the last three years of just book and doing these events and conversations is no matter what stage of the business you're in, I've found that these questions are the same, but the answers are different. In the early stage, your ops question operations will be like, I just need a, need a finance guy or like marketing ops to do it. You grow. Now you learn the question is the same. How do you operate effectively? Now you need RevOps. So now the, so as a company matures, your answer might change, but the questions remain the same. And that has been a beautiful journey for me. Love it. Love it. So with the move framework in hand, uh, and I love the simplicity of, of that M-O-V-E. Karen, can you help your fellow CMOs and marketing teams understand their specific role in moving, excuse the pun, uh, <laughs> the companies go to market along? What should your fellow CMOs and their teams, including product marketers, do to move their companies go to market along? It's a great question. I also love the, the move acronym, um, what it stands for. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think the understanding of, of the market, which is not just category, but it's also geography, where are we going to, where are we going to spend our money? Where are we going to get the most impact? Where do we need to generate revenue and pipe, you know, having all aspects of your market defined really, really clearly operations, mm -hmm. um, having, as I said, a strong, even at small companies, um, and I've been at many smaller, you know, fast growing companies that have revenue ops, because they understand with the investment that we make in technology, that we need to have the data. First of all, if you don't have your data house in order as a marketer, you better get your data house in order as a marketer, because that's job number one, whether you're doing a simple ABM campaign, or whether you're looking at geographic expansion, you have to have the data. That's where rev ops or sales ops, marketing ops, you know, comes into play. Um, um, velocity is so key. These are all the expansion pieces of the business. This is, you know, again, I walked into a to Sendoso when there was an idea of a PLG kind of like in the background on the table, but they were just sort of going to launch it in a quiet way. And I went, why? Like, why, if you're going to invest the time and energy to launch a freemium product, why wouldn't you just go for it? You know, you don't have to go spend a lot of money, but, you know, having, when you talk about velocity plays, whether they're competitive campaigns or, bringing new products to market or launching in new geographies or whatever, whatever they are, you've got to be looking at the end game. Like what do you really hope to accomplish and how is it going to, to grow your business? And at the end of the day, support your corporate goals. Um, so that's, that's super critical. And then um, gosh, we, you know, when I also think about, I mentioned customer lifecycle marketing, when I think about the expansion play, but it kind of ties up to all of the move elements, just being super close to the customer. Like as a marketer today, if you aren't doing like the best job at customer lifecycle marketing, 
um, because that impacts everything. Touching the entire part of that journey from advocacy to advisory to adoption, I call it the AAA uh, advocacy advisory adoption to get to the end game, which is keeping those customers for life, um, getting more out of those customers, utilize those customers to be mouthpieces and thought leaders to tell your story. I mean, that to me is part of the expansion piece too, which is just helping your customers be your sellers, um, helping your customers be your thought leaders. So customer marketing to me in the world of NRR and you know, retention being probably in most companies right now, more important than even new logo acquisition. I think customer marketing, lifecycle marketing is more critical than ever. Brilliant. I We only have a couple of questions left here and I want to get to them and we're running out of time. I, I could spend so many hours with you both on this topic. Sangram, it's Monday morning. CEO, CRO, CMOs, they, they've, they've listened to this podcast and they understand that they have a go-to-market problem, not a product problem or a sales problem or a marketing problem to, to borrow from your lovely uh, quote there. What can they do come Monday morning to supercharge the go-to-market strategy? Let's make it real. Yeah, um, I think we, uh, and we can put this, I don't know if you can put this in the show notes, but we can create, we, we have this, the research came out with 15 reasons why your go-to-market is broken. And it's literally lays it out. And I think if, if we are really honest about ourselves, we would realize that we all have go-to-market problems. That's not the, but that's not the problem. That is not the problem that we got go-to-market problem. The problem is we don't know which problem is the most important one that, that dragging us down. And we are not prioritizing the right problems to fix as a team. That's really the crux of the situation. So there are all these 15 problems that we, you know, we can share. Like some of that is that we are, we are being reactive, not proactive. Some of it is that we can't forecast for the next few months. And that's what's mm-hmm. making everybody edgy on every single call. Some of it is that the alignment between sales, marketing, CS, and product is not there. So we laid out those 15 go-to-market problems. And every single company that we did this assessment with, they will identify at least three at any given time as a number, like that's that's the reason why they're having all these issues. And as soon as you say that, it's like a relief. It's like a therapy. Okay, now we know what the problem is. Let's go solve it. So Monday morning, if you're bringing your team together, don't point fingers. Don't say everybody's right, wrong, or whatever. Just as a group, identify where everybody feels the problem is and start prioritizing and and attacking each one of these problems together as a group. That's that's something that I think is one of the best things we can do moving forward. Love it. And we will include uh, that in the in the show notes. Uh, so understand the problem, really understand of these 15, uh, you know, which are, are top of mind, which are really causing the most amount of pain. And then use the move framework to get organized, put the right teams in place, get our discipline process in place. I, I love it. Karen, we're going to do two lightning round questions to end this. You and Sangram, we'll start with you. What do you wish product marketing teams would stop doing in 2023? I wish product marketing teams would not obsess on competitive intelligence, instead focus on go-to-market strategy and value. Um, We have to pay attention to competitors, but I think sometimes 
we get too obsessed with competitors. Um, and I've seen that happen in multiple organizations. And I, I think one of the biggest um, value points today um, for product marketing teams is to be the best sales enablers. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd, re I'd rather have them focus more on that to, to improve, you know, win rates as opposed to generate a whole bunch of new customer intelligence. I mean, there's a lot of data out there. We can all do our own research on the competition, but I think, I think the end game right now for product marketers is coming up with, of course, new product strategies around, you know, things like PLG, et cetera, but more importantly, enabling sales and improving win rates. Brilliant. Sangram, what do you wish PMMs would stop doing in 2022? 2023, sorry. Yeah, 2023. Uh, like, you know, not a whole lot of content, really. They, they don't need to create more content uh, for it because there's not a single sales rep person ever would say, oh, I got enough. I don't need more. Uh, like everybody wants more. Uh, but really, if I would flip it and say what they really need to do is do ROI, like actual ROI that customers could understand the sales team can actually use, like use it in a way where it's in their first call deck and they can talk through that. Um, I even say not just that, but we are starting to see companies do ROI with their customers. So mm -hmm. helping your customers figure out how to show ROI of your product, something that most companies don't even go further down. So you're like, hey, can you come speak to this event? And they would come speak, but they don't, they're not really doing a great job of, showing the ROI to the depth. So we are starting to help a lot of companies like, well, let's, let's, let us help your five companies that are really, really good and help them tell your story better than anybody else. That's really what the salespeople need to close more deals, not another data sheet. Love it. Show them that the, the value that, that the customer can realize is going to produce yeah. this ROI that you're talking. I, I love it. Last question. All right, Karen, and then Sangram. How can product marketers be perceived as architects of growth? Uh, Karen, by the way, this show, Marketechs, is Marketechs, marketing folks that are architects of growth. Boom, Marketechs. So how can product marketers be perceived as architects of growth for their company in 2023? That is a great question. Um, you know, get involved in every aspect once the strategy is set, there might be a smaller team that we've talked about that puts the core go-to-market strategy together, but get involved in every aspect of that execution. Um, whether it's inbound, outbound, we call it all bound, ABM, CX, PLG, partner strategy, just follow, follow the money through the execution and and don't believe it's not your job to be part of that and have an opinion on how your product suite, um, if you're responsible for one piece of the product or different elements of, you know, of the product suite are, are being kind of carried through those motions. It's your job to make them part of those motions. Um, so be very, um, I loved Sangram's word from earlier, be very intentional about how you get your product voice into every element of go-to-market execution, because don't wait to be invited to that. You know, put your product forward um, and be a product thought leader. Love it. 
be intentional about the all bound. I'm going to use that moving yeah. forward here. And thank you. Uh, in your company's go-to-market strategy, Sangram, can product marketers be market techs in 23? Well, I, I didn't, honestly, I'll be, uh, I didn't have a lot of respect for product marketers in back in the day because I didn't really know what they did. <laughs> uh, until I joined Salesforce. And I, then my eyes were opened that, my goodness, product marketing is actually running the clouds. The sales cloud, marketing cloud, each one of the clouds that we all know for Salesforce was actually run by the product marketing. They owned that and they ran it like it. So I have a whole new understanding in, in of it after that experience. And in order to do that, I think what they did bad, better than anywhere else, anywhere else I've seen was they really understood the business. Uh, I think a lot of product marketing are too much in the words and spending time on finessing it, uh, but they don't understand the business. Uh, what are we in the business of? What are we really trying to do over here? Where do I take this forward? So it requires to what Karen was saying, a, a proactive way of saying, let me understand the business. Let me understand the customer's business and be able to start creating and positioning over, around that. Very hard job to do. I don't envy anybody's job right now in product marketing. Everybody has their work cut out. Uh, but if you do it right, you change the world. Love it. Understand your customer's business. Understand the ROI of your efforts towards, uh, you know, making the dollars. I appreciate you both for joining us on The Marketect. Sangam, as always, love having you on. Karen, I hope this is the first of a few more to come. And I thoroughly enjoyed meeting you. Thank you for lending your time to The Marketect. Thank you very much. Have a good one, folks. All right. You too.